The information on this podcast is not intended or implied to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. All information contained on or related to this podcast is for general information purposes only. Hello everyone, I'm Chantal Wicks and this is Guts and Glory. All right, hello everyone. Welcome to this episode of Guts and Glory. Today we are going to be chatting with a uh, dietitian, Amanda Lapidus. So she's a registered dietitian and speaker and gut health expert in Toronto. Her practice focuses on digestive disorders and she's actively involved in research related to the diet and the gut microbiome, which we've heard a lot about, especially in the IBD community. She provides a personalized, results-oriented approach to her care. Amanda, thank you for being here with us. Thanks for having me. I know you're feeling a little under the weather. Yes, I usually don't sound so um, sexy. I was going to say this is very like, you know, phone sex phone talk. Sex yeah. Like, <laughs> yes, no, that's not that's not my professional. So, background. you're a dietitian. How how did you get here? What was the journey that mm-hmm. made you decide this is what I'm doing? So, without taking you too far back, um, I actually started, when I went to school, I was actually planning on going into something finance or economics related. And um, my my own mom um, was diagnosed with breast cancer. And I always had, had an interest in diet, mainly in the area of personally yo-yo dieting. Um, okay. I did a lot of that myself. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and when my mom was diagnosed, it was quite frustrating for me to you know, open her drawer. She always had a lot of uh, medical conditions and complaints. And I found myself opening her drawer and seeing just a slew of medications. Something for this, something for this. Yeah. And really no um, medical approach to prevention or looking to the source of what was going on. Um, And my mom, when we look back, my mom, um, we, for her diagnosis, she actually had gone in to um, have a mammogram. She found her uh, lump on her own. She went to have her mammogram, and the technician at the time um, said to her, "You know, why didn't you come in two years ago?" And my mom sort of, you know, looked up at her and said, "You know, what do you mean?" Well, uh, what happened was my mom had gone in for a routine mammogram, and she had some questionable results. They had sent her for core biopsy, and um, the results from, um, came back recommending that she be seen by a surgical oncologist. So this was the two years prior? Yeah. Right. And so my mom's been dead for almost 17 years now. So keep in mind that at the time, things were not quite so high tech. Not as developed as we have today. Right. right. Okay. Nothing was done electronically. And um, that... Uh, radiology report or recommendation to see a surgical oncologist was actually never sent to my mom's GP. Um, And so the tumor then had two years to progress um, because my mom obviously... And two years prior, she didn't know it was there at that point. She didn't have, she didn't feel it like she did the exactly. time she went. But she did have a diagnosis of the time at the time of rheumatoid arthritis, a lot of pain okay. around her armpit area. Um, and by the time she found the lump on her own, uh, the tumor had um, had spread. And when they went to go remove it, they were unable to remove the whole thing. My mom died in less than a year. 
after, the, after when she that. discovered uh, from the point of discovery to her point of death it was discovered in March 2002 she died in February of 2003 and so at this point I was like you know very as I was frustrated not frustrated you know I we made it a point of not becoming overly um, obsessed with the kind of the what what, what happened right. and what could have what could be. Um, I actually had a 10-year-old brother at the time, or I do have a brother. <laughs> he's he was still, 10 at the he's time. He's still 10 years younger than me. <laughs> um, and But he was 10 at the time when my mom passed, and I was 20, and I have two older sisters. And we all, you know, came together as a family. We're still very close. Um, but, you know, one thing that really stood out for me was the importance of preventative health, and I wanted to look at how people could help other people um, use their lifestyle to prevent, you know, chronic diseases from occurring and how we could work together in a um, healthcare environment. And so I... The holistic approach. Exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I look back and I see it as like a bit of a naive approach. Um, I look at myself as a bit naive, and I went back. I actually had to go back to high school really? and get my sciences. Like, I dropped all my science stuff. So, like, bio. Well, yeah, because you were going the business route. Exactly. <laughs> so, like, every – like, for – Two summers, I was like doing chemist, like chemistry at home, but it would none of it was online at the point. So like I, the textbooks, it was textbooks, and like they would deliver like these little chemistry kits, which I was doing like <laughs> ridiculous things at home. Because <laughs> um, you needed those prerequisites. To exactly. Get so I managed to switch over, and I went into the nutrition program with these ideas that I was going to be working in hospital, helping do like preventative care. Um, but right. that's not exactly how things ended up. So I did. I got to become a dietitian, and I love working as a dietitian. I spent a lot of time in hospital, um, and I worked in surgery. I worked, um, I worked in um, inpatient psychiatry and general medicine, and I spent actually almost, I think, about eight or nine years um, in um, in addiction and mental health. Right. And that's where I really began to like truly see the connection between the mind, the mind and the gut right. and how the gut plays a huge role in disease and mental health. And I became so frustrated by just the system. And I wanted to start working as a dietitian oh my goodness, you sound again. like all the IBD patients, frustrated <laughs> with the system. Yeah, <laughs> and I just wanted to work as a dietitian. I wanted to start working with food and with nutrition and start helping patients for the reason that I became a dietitian. Right. And I, I was pregnant at the time, um, and I went on two back-to-back -back maternity leaves, and I myself was quite unhealthy. Um, right. And... I would say I was quite overweight. I let myself gain quite a bit of weight when I was pregnant, and I ended up having two preterm babies back to back. And after that, I decided I was going to take a hold of my own health, and I did. I um, I just started like really not just eating healthy, but I took a hold of my mental health, just like doing a lot of different. Um, mind body things let's say um, overall I'm just feeling I, f I feel like 
it just seems just moving in the right direction, in a positive direction, holistically. Mm -hmm. I don't think we can focus. Our healthcare system is designed to take care of people acutely. Right. It's designed to take care of acute issues and to treat whatever is happening at that exact moment. It doesn't look before and it doesn't look after. Right. And I just knew I could not go back to the hospital system. I knew. Because of the acute focus. Exactly. I wanted to be able to help people like through it. Like I wanted to be able to continue on helping them. So what made you focus on the, because I know you have a big focus on the microbiome and the gut and, and it essentially, you know, you're a name in the IBD community. Dr. Silverberg, my GI told me about you. Right. So that didn't come, naturally? that didn't come right away. Okay. Not actually, it didn't come <laughs> right away. It didn't come until I started working with people um, and realizing Like, I always knew that the mind and the gut were connected, um, especially seeing people in their addiction recovery, um, seeing how much the nutrition piece had a huge impact on relapse. Um, But being able to work with um, private clients and working with them on just day-to-day digestive health issues, whether it was... Um, constipation. Co- yeah, like just regular constipation. Yeah. but And then eventually working with people for just, uh, not just, but for irritable bowel syndrome and eventually becoming really, really interested in the gut as a whole. Um, and slowly I started to work more and more with IBD and more IBS and eventually it became such a big focus for me that I could not work with other conditions. Um, I really wanted to niche and focus only on digestive health. Uh, and I think it's really important that as um, dietitians, as healthcare providers, we focus on specific areas. Obviously not to the, ex- like you still wanna be knowledgeable of other areas, but I don't work with patients with diabetes. That's not my right. area of focus. Well, um, as an IBD patient myself, I'm. I feel more comfortable knowing that I would be going to somebody who specializes in my specific area of need. Mm-hmm. Um, Dr. Silverberg mentioned the difference between GIs and GIs with, who specialize in IBD. Exactly. You yeah. know, there's a need for it. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that dietitians who don't have a specialization in IBD can't be helpful, but it would, you know, arguably so, I believe someone who specializes in IBD would be more helpful for me. You specifically understand my disease, what I'm going through. Right. And at the same time, that means that, you know, I work with patients with IBS, I work with patients with IBD, I work with patients who are just having... The gut-related, microbiome-type. So, yeah, so issues with their gut. So there are people who don't have IBS, don't have IBD, but are having issues with constipation, having issues right. with, you know, heartburn. And I'm still yeah. working with those people. Um, but even if there are two people who both have Crohn's disease. Not the same at all. <laughs> exactly. You're not the same. People with colitis, you're not the same. So that means that a diet or a, a plan for for those two people who may look exactly the same is not is still not going to be the same. It's not a one size fits all. Exactly. And so I'm very clear to say that I never work with protocols and I you're not going to get the same plan uh, and that's a very important part of my practice. I think as IBD patients that's something we we 
I think we get a little bit frustrated with, and I think it's something as well that I think IBD warriors don't <clears throat> understand. They hear stories on social media that <coughs> this diet worked for someone, that this medication worked for someone, and then the frustration and the anger when the medication doesn't work for them or that diet doesn't work for them or that person can eat that food and I can't, that right. upsets me. You know, we have to, like, IBD warriors, you need to understand that w- we are very individualized in our disease. Right. There are many of us with IB- IBD, over 270,000 people in Canada alone, um, but it's not a one-size-fits-all approach. So it's very comforting to hear you say that as a mm-hmm. dietitian, you're not just rolling, You know, it's not like a file that, oh, this is an IBD patient, we're just gonna put the same paperwork into here, right. give them this approach, that you look at as a, a person as an individual. Yeah, like people will come to my office and they expect to walk out with a handout. Like, I don't have any handouts. I don't in my know office. you yet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, and they'll expect to walk out with a diet plan. And I, I don't, you will never leave my office after meeting me for the first time with a plan in place. And that's because it takes time for me to understand what your day to day is like. Right. And when we work together, it's the two of us working together. So, you know, I have, I, I work with packages because I want, you know, we're going to work together when you're not in my office. Of you course, know, yeah. We're working together as a team and um, your email support and that kind of stuff because I want you to be able to, like, email me and say, you know, is this product something that's... Yeah, can you, I get this? Exactly. Yeah. Um, and there are, you know, there are diets that are appropriate in certain situations. So. Of course, like if you're in the middle of a flare, you're not <clears> going out <throat> eating spicy wings and poppy seed bagels. Like, right. <laughs> like, and like, and so, you know, that's a good point. So, you know, the seeds, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, I have people who come to me who've been on low residue diets for years because, you know, they had surgery and the right. inpatient dietitian told them that they had to be on low residue. And then they never came off. So, you know, those are important follow-up steps that are, are lost. Yeah, what do I transition to later? Exactly. And being low low residue forever. Doesn't help. No, <laughs> it can be detrimental. Yeah. Um, and so those are, you know, those are very important steps that get missed along the way if people aren't working with the right people. So, Amanda, you're a dietitian. Right. So what's the difference between dietitian and nutritionist? So, because they're not interchangeable. This is two separate people. So, a dietitian can right. call themselves a nutritionist. Okay. Okay. A nutritionist, uh, the term nutritionist is not a controlled term. Okay. But a nutritionist could not call themselves a dietitian. Okay. So, you could say you're a nutritionist. Okay. Um, I'm not, though. Oh, gosh. But you, <laughs> you could because. Right. The point is that you do not need any training to say you're a nutritionist. So if I'm doing my research and, and I think I have a really good understanding of calcium and, you know, all of this stuff, vitamins, and then I could say, okay, well, I'm a nutritionist because I understand. But you don't even need to understand anything to call yourself a nutritionist. Okay. Now, that being said, I always say that there are actually some really good nutritionists out there. Right. Um, and there are some really crummy dietitians out there. Absolutely. Well, in every profession. Exactly. <laughs> But the only way for you to know that there's some control um, on the professional, so for example, dietitians, there's the College of Dietitians of Ontario here in Ontario. I'm assuming you pay a registration fee. I'm a teacher. We do the same thing. Exactly. OCT, we exactly. pay a registration fee. They monitor us. They make sure we're not doing anything exactly. we're not supposed to. And if you do, 
there is there are repercussions. Absolutely. Um, a student or the student's family could report you to your college. That's right. And that's the exact same thing that can happen for us. Um, we, I always say we pay large sums of money to protect the public against us. Yes, this is also <laughs> very true. It is true. Right? <laughs> but there are no repercussions to a um, nutritionist giving dangerous advice. Right. So if you want to be, if you want to be safe. Um, dietitian is the way to go. Dietitian is the way to go. And this, and you, a lot of your practice is research-based as well. Like you're reading up about what's happening in the microbiome. You're following up. With, this is not just on a whim. Yeah, and so especially like when somebody is on, so when we're speaking about IBD, people are on a whole mix of medications. From steroids, 5-ASAs, biologics. Exactly. Yeah. And there's interactions. There are things that people can't take um, at certain times. Um most, like a lot of people don't just have Crohn's or colitis. They might have other conditions. They could have IBS along with this. Arthritis. Uh, yes. um, prednisone. If, you're, if you've been on prednisone for a really long time, you're at an increased risk for diabetes, right? So um, if, you've take, if you have developed um, diabetes, what are some other things um, that That's you need I to take That's, I think, where patients' lives and diets become very complicated because if you have mm -hmm. someone who has IBD and then is also diabetic and now you're really having to specialize what can this person tolerate and what do they need in order to right. make sure their overall health is being taken care of. Right. And then, like, we have to also remember that you have been very sick. So yes. there's a lot of food fear. So, terrifying. Right. It's terrifying. So just because I'm saying to you, you can eat this, it doesn't mean that you're going to eat it. That's right. And so how can I work with you to get you comfortable eating something that I think is good for you? So dealing with, you know, my food anxieties. Right. Absolutely. So there, it's complicated. And I... It doesn't matter what my goals are, but what are your goals? And how can we work together to get you to where you, you could be? to feel good and to prevent, hopefully. Future flares. Yeah, and yeah. That, that is really the ultimate goal. So yeah. keeping you healthy and feeling good for as long as possible. possible. Absolutely. Because we know that there's no cure. And Not yet. Right, as yes. of now. There are ways we've come a long way. We have. For sure. Um, and there's no diet, no matter what anybody tells you, there's no diet that is going to fix you and everybody. Well, I was just going to say, so tell us, we're all waiting, <laughs> what is the diet that's going to cure our IBD? Because we go to our Thanksgiving dinners and our Christmas dinners with our family who tell us, you're not supposed to eat that. You shouldn't be eating that. You sh this is what makes you sick. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm interested to know what are some things that you hear from people? Like, what do they tell you? Dairy. Dairy. Just okay. don't eat cheese. You know, mm -hmm. how are you eating cheese right now? Don't you have like stomach issues? You shouldn't eat cheese. That's gonna make everything worse. I'm like, first <laughs> of all, when I eat my cheese, I'm okay. I don't right. eat a lot of cheese, but I'm personally okay. And I think that's important. For those of you who think cheese upsets you, it could be. It could be upsetting you. Don't right. don't just start eating the cheese because I said I can eat it. So like if if you have a an allergy to dairy, then by all means, I would say do not eat cheese. Don't eat cheese. <laughs> yeah. If you're actually lactose intolerant, it's likely that you could tolerate a lot of cheeses because a lot of cheeses don't, don't have, lactose. have lactose in them. Yeah. Um, people see dairy as this like all like evil thing. Yeah. There's actually been no evidence to show that dairy products 
worsen um, symptoms or yeah. um, are bad for people with IBD. Yes, I continue eating my cheese. There you go. <laughs> um, I personally have a hard time digesting red meat. Okay. If I have a lot, if I, I don't eat a lot of red meat, to be perfectly honest with you, mm -hmm. maybe I should eat more, maybe I shouldn't, I'm not sure. Um, but I have a hard time. It, it, I need to go to bed. If okay. I have some red meat, I, okay. I'm not, I can't watch TV. I can't focus. I am so tired. I'm exhausted. Okay. Um, that might be completely IBD unrelated. Right. You know, I would assume, I would assume the high iron content might be. I don't, I don't know. Me. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I think everyone's going to have foods that they can or can't uh, tolerate. And of course, we hear seeds, leafy greens, so fruits, different fruits and vegetables. So I think that um, when people have a crossover of symptoms that are typical for irritable bowel syndrome, right. um, so we can try elimination diets like the low FODMAP diet. So that is like a diet that's very specific to a condition. And when we try an elimination diet like a low FODMAP diet, I think it's very important that it's done with someone that specializes. I was just going to say that don't do this on your own. Yes. You need somebody who has an educated set of eyes The low FODMAP at... diet is so complicated. And when people try it on their own, um, if you're not doing it pretty much like, like as perfectly as possible. Religiously, essentially. Yeah. yeah. And it's not, it is not a forever diet. If you stay on it forever, then you're doing it wrong it, because you need to be figuring, you're using this diet to figure out what your triggers are. Right. But this is a diet that can be quite um, useful to figure out what is causing some of your symptoms or what's triggering some of your symptoms. But it, it's complicated. And so, you know, I've even had people who've worked with dietitians who don't who aren't well-versed in the FODMAP diet, in the low FODMAP diet, and I've had to reverse a lot of the stuff that they've learned. So you need to make sure that you're working with someone who knows. I've even said, I've said to a room full of gastroenterologists, like, you give a handout on the low FODMAP diet that is a one-page handout. Your patients look at it, go, what in the ever-loving <laughs> They throw it in the garbage and they do absolutely nothing and they're more confused than they ever were before. Right. So you... They like you need to be working with somebody who lives and breathes the low FODMAP diet. Um, I I work with the low FODMAP diet and I um, am like really involved with it. But does that work for everyone? Is that something you you bring to every one of your patients? No, okay. and I really I try and avoid it as much as possible oh, because okay. it can also it can be really stressful. So, and we know that stress can also make everything worse. <laughs> yeah. So, like you have to weigh the appropriateness of diets. So, when you're looking at things that are going to trigger symptoms for you, know, you or for the next person, you want to be looking at like, okay, do you know that this specific item is triggering you? And if in fact you do, then and there's no benefit to adding it back in, then obviously, like, why bother? If it's an entire food group that you're avoiding, right. then we want to look at, okay, is it the whole food group? Are there ways that we can look at incorporating items back in? Understanding why that person is avoiding that food group. Like, right. is there a fear associated to dairy? Exactly. Um, and if you, if it's, so if you're avoiding dairy or if you're, let's say you're a vegan, okay? Right. Mm -hmm. So, and um, I'm looking at your diet, you're a vegan, um, 
I'm not interested in changing your... So you're not trying to make someone a carnivore? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, I'm not interested in being a vegan personally, but if you were, that is okay. You're just looking how to balance. Exactly. So I'm going to make recommendations on how to maybe fully support you nutritionally right. in the way that you are currently living. So that I'm that if I was a vegan, I would be getting the nutrients that I need that would normally be coming from meat. Right. right. And like, are you, if you're in a flare right now, then we're going to look at the right. most appropriate thing to, for you to be eating. So Actually, I was just going to ask you that in terms of IBD patients, where do you, do you, have you noticed in general, like where the nutritional gaps tend to be other than the B12 and the iron that everyone? <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, so it depends. So like we know that people with celiac are at increased risk for osteoporosis. Yes. Uh, sorry, did I say celiac? I well, well, they, IBD. Yeah, yes, but sorry. you said celiac. But celiac, I know people with celiac disease have similar issues. Yes, <laughs> but I, we're talking about IBD. Mm -hmm. so. Um, so people with Crohn's would be at increased risk for osteoporosis. Um, so we do like, want to look at where the disease is. So What part of the intestine? Exactly. So the majority of the absorption would happen higher up, and the majority of cases of Crohn's or colitis is a bit, sorry, obviously, colitis we know is it's the large intestine. large intestine i know the ileum does has a job and and the duodenum has a job of doing certain things so crohn's right. patients will typically have the, it's crohn's our listeners you probably know what we'll say it anyways crohn's can be anywhere from bum to gum and it could be spotty so you can have you could have areas in your colon that are inflamed but then you could also have areas in your small intestine typically people with ulcerative, ulcerative colitis have their inflammation have their site of disease in the large intestine mm -hmm. the, or essentially the bowel the colon and it extends from that one space and is not spotty and i know crohn's goes also deeper into the mucosal lining yeah, which is where yeah which is where the a lot of the malnourishment occurs because of these. Right. So and so each part of your bowel will do different absorbing. Mm -hmm. So it's responsible for absorbing, let's say, B12 or um, iron, protein, whatever yeah. it is, right? And so um, depending on where the disease is can determine what kind of malabsorption issues we're having. Because of the majority of cases being in the lower part of the bowel, um, most of the time, the absorption, there's not too much of a malabsorption issue. Now, a lot of the issues will occur when there's a really big decrease in oral intake and people right. eating a lot less, right? When we stop eating because we don't want to go to the bathroom, we need right. to be able to work. Or mm -hmm. when we're put on liquid diet or right. intravenous. Right. So, and um, being put on like a gastric tube, for yes. example, is a very common thing to happen when you're having such a bad flare. Um, and usually they'll be calculating the amount to meet your nutritional needs. Right. Um, and they'll do lots of calculations with using inputs and outputs in order to balance it out. Um, but when we're in the real world and you're eating, um, sometimes we'll look at the different um, nutritional supplements in terms of like vitamins and minerals, if that's necessary. Um, and when you're getting blood work done, so every time you go for an infusion, they'll do blood work, right? Yeah, just had my infusion last week, actually. Right. <laughs> okay, and so they'll look at things like, uh, they'll look at your a complete blood count and they'll look at your, your um, 
They might look at your iron status. Okay, look at my iron, my B12, C-reactive protein, right. that okay. kind of stuff. And so that's looking at like, so if your iron and your B12 are low, then you might want to, they might need to supplement with those things. Well, a dietitian, you'd be extremely helpful for our, like our ostomate community and our people with J pouches and mm-hmm. pelvic pouches. And mm-hmm. because if you're, if they have lost a portion of their intestine, that is, and the job is to absorb mm-hmm. minerals or nutrients or fats or whatever the case may be, and that's gone, mm-hmm. you know, that's another reason why seeing a dietitian who can help you understand how are we going to get meet your needs in another way. And so sometimes actually with the with the, my ostomy patients will look at um, different foods that are going to cause um, like looser right. outputs right. and foods that will thicken up the output um, because depending on what your outputs are like, it can be irritating to the ostomy site. Absolutely. So those are important factors. Um, but Obviously, you know, food is an important part of managing the disease, but it's also an important part of, um, sorry, managing the disease, but also we think maybe preventing some of the flare-ups, and we're really kind of looking at how it plays that role. Or when you're in a flare, how to prevent that flare from getting worse. Yeah, and so... um, Exasperating it. Exacerbating, yeah, yeah. but I think it's really exciting that, you know, when I, when I was being trained, it was automatically, no, the diet has nothing to do with this. It, it was colitis and Crohn's, no. The, the GIs were all saying no. And now it's not no. No, it's changing. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely changing. But, so. you know, you're not telling. So I know that a lot of us have, like, us, I mean, IBD warriors, we have this sense of guilt. Um, my mom has even shared with, has has said, you know, years ago, was it something that she fed me when I was a child? Did she make me sick? Mm-hmm. You know? Um, and I think it's important to know that I'm assuming you would agree that we haven't done anything to ourselves to give ourselves IBD. No, we I hear t- this all the time. <laughs> like, it's what did I eat that made me get sick forever? Yeah, no, I hear this all the time. And I, like, I, I almost, like, half the time I want to either, like, reach across the table and shake the person or just, like, <laughs> give them a really big hug. Um, there's so many things that can contribute, that, that we know that can contribute to um, IBD development um, and so many things that we still don't know. We know that genetics is a, a piece. Environment, um, yeah, a defective immune system. Yeah. So um, on the altered gut bacteria, which we're really exploring a lot more of, and the environmental factors. And um, diet and lifestyle is one component that falls under the environmental factors. And we're really starting to look at how diet and lifestyle um, plays that role. And so so stop feeling guilty. Guys. Yeah, I mean, when we're, when we're looking at the environmental factors, um, you have the factors that we can control and the factors that we can't control. You can't control how you were delivered. So if you were right. a C-section baby I versus was. a I vaginal was. delivery, yeah, right? Yeah. And when you were being delivered, your mother wouldn't have known at the time that that being delivered C-section was um, would maybe... Oh, sorry, being delivered vaginally was a protective factor, right? right? Right, So she couldn't have controlled. She actually probably couldn't have controlled it either way. I was actually an emergency C-section. I needed to get out, there apparently. There you go. My mom was in distress. I was in distress. So she couldn't have <laughs> yeah. controlled it. Um, so, and whether or not you breastfeed or bottle feed, there are a lot of situations you can't control 
bottle feeding. Um, some people can't breastfeed. Um, so there are a lot of environmental factors you just cannot control. So yeah. um, it is exciting now that we're exploring diet. Uh, well, I feel like it's becoming more credible. We just now need to let get OHIP and insurance companies on board with recognizing, and some places do. They recognize that nutrition, diet, like going to a dietitian is so important and could prevent, like, you know, we'll talk about money, could prevent mm -hmm. financial strain on the system in the future because if people are eating right and if they have diets that are tailored to their conditions and to their bodies, then maybe they don't need that medicine in the future that costs all that money. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> I know that's a long way for us to go before we get there, but I think we're on the right track. Yeah. Um, yeah, I want... You know, it's, it, it's, it's, a big, it's a big question as to, like, um, the responsibility and... Mm. and I would like. I would love to see the. I would love to see private dietitian services be covered by OHIP, um, so that it can be more accessible to people. Yeah, um, and I don't. I don't know if that's going to happen ever. <laughs> um, I'd also. I'd like to see a lot of things happen, um, but in the meantime, I am definitely encouraged by the amount of research that's happening around diet and the gut microbiota. Um, and I'm also really excited by doctors like um, Dr. Silverberg, who has, you know, embraced this and um, spent so much time, you know, looking into it um, when it was just such a non-starter when I was being trained. So, Well, 13 years ago, I was diagnosed and no one ever told me anything about what I should and should not eat. And when I did hear it, it was avoid the spicy food, the seeds, and raw fruits and vegetables. Too mm -hmm. much of that could be, that was it. Oh, everything else you can eat. And then mm -hmm. a few years after that, I would say maybe in my third, fourth year being diagnosed, it started to change too well. You know, while you're eating, make note of what's upsetting you. Right. Um, what's, and then if it upsets you, just don't eat it. And, you know, and now I also have Dr. Silverberg, who, as you have mentioned, has embraced this nutritional mm -hmm. um outlook and is looking at the research as well and is excited as excited as you are that there's being attention paid to this very specific area this is the gut you think we would have been talking about food from the beginning yes. but we haven't yeah. um but now it's changing even more like you know i he, you know i think it's a good he has said you know you you should see a dietitian right you know and you know the other piece is i would love there i would love for there to be a little bit more control i don't know if i want there to be like government control but I would like there more to be a little regulation. bit more regulation of some form online because oh. <laughs> like I, I have I have a separate account that I do with another dietitian called Truth and Social where we talk about um, the like incorrect information distributed on on social media all about nutrition. Diet is insane. Everywhere on social media, everyone is yeah. telling you this diet and this diet. And some of these diets are you know, it's terrifying. quite harmful. So, um, you know, anyone can really post about nutrition. And we're not talking, like, and I, I was recently looking at, you know, one of the Kardashians is posting about oh, no. this, no. this tummy tucking tea or, or no tummy tea or something like that. But these things are, like, in a world where, like, eating disorders and, like, all of these this is the issues last thing are like, like every diet under the sun. We have people who are like people who are so beyond um, untrained. Like they do not have one one iota of training 
they're posting about, you know, diets that can cure autoimmune disease. You know, we have this guy, this medical medium, posting about um, celery juice. I don't know if you saw this whole no. celery juice craze. Celery juice. So this medical Isn't medium. Isn't just water? Yeah. <laughs> so he, I'm not even, Oprah had him on, no. on his show. And he he is selling these books like crazy. And you, this celery juice will cure your autoimmune disease. Well, the internet, like the social media went crazy. That is quite harmful. So I don't have an issue with people drinking celery juice. I have an issue with people thinking that they can cure their diseases by drinking celery juice. This has to be illegal. Like, but it's not. It's, 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 like that angers me. Mm -hmm. It, 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 it's offensive. It, it, it's like I am sick, and I have been sick for thirteen years, and there is no cure for my disease. And you are going around and telling me, telling the world that you're discrediting what I've been through by saying that if I just drink celery juice, I'm going to be better. I like I you, you, know, you should like, pull him up on Instagram. <laughs> and, and his whole What the hell is this? He, <laughs> his whole thing is that he talks to spirits. And they told That's him his that training. the celery juice was the place. <laughs> that is his training. So oh my God. <laughs> I spoke to um researchers. That's my So I'm assuming this is a challenge <laughs> that dietitians have then. You yeah, are so that is faced. like one of my biggest challenges. Like I I, I I cannot... You're work. having to fight against the celery juice. <laughs> I can't work hard enough to combat the misinformation online. Yeah. And um, the... And that's where everyone's going. Exactly. Everyone. So, like, you know, person A comes to me and says, like, they heard anecdotally that um, um, their friend healed their Crohn's disease by eating a, a raw food diet. Well... That's wonderful, but I'm so glad he's well. Yes, <laughs> but like, and I don't, I don't want to say like that person is full of shit, shit, because I've never met them. Maybe, maybe they are feeling they are great. feeling wonderful, and that sounds delightful. The reality is that you know, changing your diet um, likely has altered his gut microbiota temporarily, and that has shifted how he's feeling. Right. It likely won't stay that way. Well, I if hope that's for... where he's staying, if that's all that person would be digesting, this is not a whole diet, balanced. That's life. correct. <laughs> so this... um, but there's no follow-up. He doesn't come back to me and say, like, oh, by the way, my friend is Just now... kidding. He wasn't curious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, oh, now he's in the hospital. Um, but, you know, there's there's no limit to the false diets being promoted. Now, what about probiotics and prebiotics and the activity of activity of 14-day challenge and yeah. the dancing lady in the kitchen who's going to the bathroom regularly and all she does is eat a yogurt every day. Well, I mean, have you have you had success with probiotics healing your disease? I've 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 never honestly tried it to be, but mm-hmm. I'm still sick. So You're right. Okay. <laughs> so with my with my patients, what I do say is um there are some. There are a few probiotics that I will say. You know, you can certainly try it. If to you, see, yeah, if yeah. it's helpful to you, by all means, go for it. If not, then I would suggest stopping it. It's um, there are only a few, a uh, few of them that have shown any benefit in the research. Um, I th- uh, there's one. There is one called. It was called VSL number three. It has a new name now, so I feel like I should reference the actual name. VSL number three? Yeah, so 
Um, they changed the name. There was a whole debacle about. So hold on. Visbiome. Yes. Visbiome. Okay, so visbiome. Um, Putting that biome word in there, it gets me. Yeah. So <laughs> there was some. Uh, there was a study done showing that it helped um, decrease risk for pouchitis. Okay. So that's for people who obviously have had surgery to yes. have a pouch. Yeah. Um, but that's a very specific situation. The thing is that everyone's gut microbiome, it's it's like a fingerprint, right? Yeah. So everyone's is different. And I think we're talking about so many different bacteria. Billions. Like, like we're talking trillions. a lot. Yeah, like. <laughs> and so, and, and different species. So when you're taking uh, a probiotic, you're basically taking, I mean, I think the most I've seen is 11 different species in one. And you're really, it, it's a crapshoot. Like maybe it's going to help you, maybe not. But really we're looking, I think eventually, hopefully we'll be able to um, personalize your probiotics and maybe that will be helpful. Um, helpful, maybe. Right. So what's the difference between a probiotic and a prebiotic? For those of, a, for those of you who are listening and you have no idea even what this is, like right. what, what, Pro and pre, I'm assuming pre's before. <laughs> yeah, so the prebiotic, the prebiotic would be, so let's start, the probiotic would be the those good uh, bacteria that are colonizing your gut. Um, and bacteria are living, and when you hear the word bacteria, don't freak out. I say this to my grade eight students all the time who are learning cells. They hear mm -hmm. the word bacteria and they start freaking out. I'm like, guys, bacteria is not a negative word. There are yeah. negative bacteria and positive bacteria. And the majority are, are good. good. Yeah. yeah. So like, we've done ourselves a disservice in that we've um, probably spent too much time getting killing them all. Yeah. When the you know most of them have been helpful to us. Yeah. Um, and uh, <laughs> so. You know, when I talk, you know, when I talk to, even in my own life, like I really am with my children, I try my best to um, not take antibiotics if it's unnecessary, because that's obviously going to wipe out all yeah. the, um, all the bacteria, all the probiotics too. Um, and so probiotics are the good bacteria. They have proven benefits to us. Um, and when we take, when we go take a probiotic, they have to be alive, okay? Yes, so alive. Key. Yeah. Um, and and no, they're not moving, and you can't see them. This is microscopic organisms, people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if you can see them moving, you should probably buy a different yeah, brand. That's a maggot, so you should <laughs> throw it out. <laughs> um, and the prebiotics are what the probiotics eat. Okay. Um, and so that's what they consume in order to give off these really beneficial things like um, you might have heard of branched-chain amino acids. Right. Um, and these can be anti-inflammatory. Those are the things that we're actually quite interested in. Well, our pro like probiotics are living things like you and I. And one of the things living things need to do is eat. So if we want good bacteria to survive in our gut, then we need to feed it. Right. And so... Um, one of the groups of prebiotics that we've talked uh, we've spent a lot of time looking into would be something called oligosaccharides um, or you know you might have heard of something called inulin they added a lot of inulin now to food products um, even to um, supplements and wow. okay it's an area of interest 
But you have to be a little bit careful because some people with, you know, functional gut disorders or irritable bowel syndrome, people with IBD as as well who have these symptoms can, you know, have some uh, discomfort from taking these things. So, like, a lot of the food products now, like, I don't know if you've seen these smart gummies uh, these, no. So they have a lot of these new. Of course, they put the word smart on it. And well, like, they have it. these new like gummies that will be like low sugar, high fiber gummies. And so you're wondering like, oh my God, where's all the fiber? They're tiny little gummies. <laughs> They're packed with uh, things like inulin. And that's how they get high fiber. But they can cause quite a bit of gastrointestinal distress. So people uh, eat them and then they're very bloated and gassy. Uh, so... But you it's know. a smart gummy, so it must be the way to go. Well, it might it, it might be okay because it might be feeding your gut bacteria, but you might be uncomfortable you because you're gassy and bloated. <laughs> so what do you want to go yeah. for then? What I mean, you... eat it, but maybe don't eat it before a big party. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You're and, not getting in those skinny jeans for sure. But also, we, you know, it's it's fairly new stuff. So, you know, you got to wait the a little bit till there's a little bit of, yeah. Right. So... The important thing is that there's lots of new stuff that we're looking at. Food industry loves all of this stuff because they see like something that they can package and sell. But and it's put still smart, early put days. Put organic, put probiotic exactly. word on it, and yeah. then keto. We'll, we'll sell it for. Oh my gosh! <laughs> put keto <laughs> on there, and you're gluten-free. Yeah. Like there's all of these things. organic, anti-inflammatory, gluten-free, non-GMO. <laughs> Like all these nice little labels that are stuck. I'm starting to recognize those labels. Like it's becoming a universal symbol, just like the golden arches of McDonald's. And, you know, like it's becoming the Nike swoosh. It's all, this is all becoming. But like you're a very informed patient, yeah. right? VIP, VIP. Oh, yes. Actually, you know what? I'm, I, did, I that, that just came out, but I'm realizing that I did hear that on the past. Yeah, VIP, I, VIP. Yeah, it didn't, it wasn't like placed there on purpose. <laughs> Um, but, uh, a lot of people don't know how to navigate all of this information. So some of it for me is just helping them navigate, like what's truth and what's kind of like, what do you have to get what's through? Bullshit? Yeah. Yeah. And like how, how some people still want to eat food that is technically packaged. You know, when we look at, you know, packaged food gets a bad rap, but like, oats at the end of the day oats are in a package package. so you know there's a difference between packaged food and ultra processed food and being able to help you know clients weed through the labels that are correct and just misguiding misguided so claims yeah Yeah. so a lot it's a lot of it is that and like personalizing their diet plans that um make sense for you Versus. So how do patients get a hold of you? So I know you have a website. So your website's www.amandalapidis. So uh, A-M-A-N-D-A. Last name is L-A-P-I-D-U-S dot com. Mm-hmm. Um, you're on Twitter. Yeah, my mostly, like, Instagram is my... Instagram? So yeah. Instagram is um, at A-L dot nutrition. Yeah. So okay. I spend most, like, my effort is to Instagram. I just... To be honest, I'm not not crazy about social media, but I just right. I do it because I know I it's important. Well, if somebody wants to get a hold of you to be a patient, they can do this through your website. Yeah, you can contact me through my website, um, or if you're more comfortable having your doctor refer to, refer you to me, you can do it. They can do it through fax or my website as well. Right. So just go in, have your name, give them your name. Yeah, but you don't have you can self refer as well. 
Right. Um, is there anything else you would like to share with the IBD community, the warriors and those who love us and support us before we let you have the rest of your day back? <laughs> um, you know, I, I love I love working with this community. Um, I think that you are your own advocates. And if, you know, you don't, if you're working with a clinician that doesn't feel right for you, um, or you feel like something is not right, then, you know, something make, isn't sitting right. Yeah, then make sure that you, like, say something or switch clinicians. Advocate. Advocate, advocate opinion. for sure. Um, and make sure that you let your voices be heard. Yes. And I think seeing a dietitian, a dietitian, um, oh, is yeah. important. I should probably say something yeah. about being a dietitian. I think, I think seeing a dietitian is important. No, it, it really is. And, you, and you're right. When I was first diagnosed, food was not discussed, which is the most outrageous thing. Like, I have a gut issue and you're not talking to me about my food that I'm eating. Like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. where's my prescription? Yeah. You know? Um, I think seeing a dietitian is extremely important. This is, you know. If you're going to do anything with your diet and change food intake or whatever the case may be, please be monitored by somebody who is trained in supporting you in yeah. this. Uh, and that is not uh, Susie on Facebook. Yes. Um, yeah. No offense if there's a Susie out there who's is doing who is an actual dietitian though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but not all dietitians are the same either. That's right. So. And looking for a dietitian who specializes in IBD. Yes, for sure. If you're someone with IBD, of course. Yes. That is. Yeah. Okay. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you, Amanda. I know that you're not feeling 100% well. I feel well. great. I just sound weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I mentioned to you before you came, we have episodes from previously where the ulcers in my mouth and my throat have been and so awful. That sounds much but, worse. Like I was just a horse with like cotton like oh. near the beginning, but uh, not today. So that's good. We appreciate you being here. Um, please you. reach out to Amanda. You can look find her on t uh, Instagram and her website again is www.amandalapidus.com. Uh, we'll also post her information on our social media pages, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram as well, so that you can get in contact with her, check out her website. Um, she's lovely both inside and out, mm -hmm. and we appreciate you being here. That's it for now. Strength and positive thoughts. Thanks for listening to Guts and Glory. This podcast is produced by Bang Albino Inc.